listening to the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 Podcast. I'm Ryan Vasquez. And I'm Stephen McNally, and we are your home for F1 racing across the pond. On today's pod, we will rehash all the shenanigans of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, talking with the absolute or starting with the absolute shambolic uh, pit lane incident that ultimately marred uh, a successful day for Sergio Perez. And a successful day for Ferrari. Hey, welcome to the uh, podium, gentlemen. It's uh, only taken this long into the season. We'll cover that. We'll cover uh, Max being a little bit of a baby. And uh, at the end, we'll uh, re-go over our predictions and see if we scored some points ourselves. Uh, Let's see. Did we score some points? I think we might have. But so did a lot of people this weekend because of this new format. So more opportunity to score points. Points well, are being thrown around. <laughs> Much like the, the Formula One championship, our prediction championship has gone uh, neck and neck as well. Right. So, Steve, you know, I wanted to start off real quick and just kind of say, not necessarily conspiracy theory or tinfoil hatty, but maybe butterfly effect. When you change so much this weekend, like we've done, coming off of three races and four weeks off and all that, and you change a bunch and you come back racing, is all these changes what led to this absolutely cluster of an ending that we saw? I, I don't know if there's something there to it. It just feels like this is just a domino effect that, of course, we got this kind of ending after the kind of weekend we had. It, it seemed like... What one of the inevitabilities of you start throwing around maybe too much change, too much time off, too much rust that the uh, the easy things that are supposed to be observed and policed, you know, slip through the cracks. And what we're obviously talking about here is the end of the race where Esteban had been out all race because they tried a tire strategy where they were praying for a red flag, um, essentially, um, or at least the yellow where they could make take advantage. And he pretty much went the whole race on one set of tires. We know you can't do that. You have to change tires. And he decides to come at the very last minute down pit row. But then, then what happens, Steve? I mean, there's just a gaggle of paparazzi there expecting... Uh, to get their shots of the race winner. The race is over, done with. Uh, you, you know, what, what's there left to be safe about? Uh, you know, they look down, they see the Red Bull crew cross the pit lane to get ready to cheer on Sergio and Max as they come down. So all, all the indications to them seem to be like everything was essentially wrapped up. It's time for us to go out and do our job. But nobody had their eye on the ball when it came to knowing there's still one car out there who's got to make their last pit stop. And, you know, the race isn't over until everyone crosses the checker flag uh, or, or crosses the finish line under the checker flag. And so when Esteban comes in to make his stop, he's met with a wall of people. And, you know, Baku does not have a direct pit entrance, you know, uh, because of the speeds that go down the front straight. They have to kind of kink them into the pit lane to really scrub off speed so it's a it's a blind turn in once you slow down so it's a left right and straight down the pit lane comes around the corner all of a sudden there's 15 20 people standing there and you know we uh thankfully avoided any kind of catastrophe but it was a really eerie uh 
unsettling moment to watch on live TV and kind of hear the panic in the announcer's voice and, and, you know, Ted and Crofty, like, uh, just sheer panic. And it was unsettling to listen to. Yeah, I don't know if uh, people watching on ESPN and Liberty Media officials had involuntary vehicular manslaughter on their bingo cards for this weekend for F1, but they almost got it. And uh, again, Steve, uh, another week, another week, I hate to say it, where we've only had four races and we've waited like two, three months to get through these, but another race that's somewhat overshadowed by an official's decision or an official's misstep or something like that. Right. And, you know, this this wasn't the race they needed. They don't need it to happen at any race. But especially this one, it was kind of, I don't want to say it was a stinker, but it was just, you know, cars didn't seem to really have the opportunity to make as many overtakes, harder to follow. It was a lot of, you know, follow the leader going on, not a lot of action. So when there's nothing else in the storyline, you can't have, you know, these incidents when it comes to safety and incidents when it comes to, uh, you know, the officiating of your sport, you know, your product is good. Most days you're out there and you can let that tell the story. You just don't have to shoot yourself in the foot. But when you do it on a day when there's nothing else to really talk about, it's, you know, more money gets put into formula one than most other top line level sports, more sponsorship money, and it makes it look like amateur hour. And you you don't want things happening like this. It's an overall incompetency. It's not a there's not an uh, an equity across the drivers or situations uh, on rule decisions. Um, but then it starts getting into just Keystone cops bumbling it to the point where people are starting to be put in danger. Um, and I you know. To, to my point, Steve, as far as like a butterfly effect, was it possible that all of the things going on just makes it impossible for officials and people doing the races to keep them keep their mind wrapped around all the possible outcomes that could happen during the race that they couldn't foresee that this would possibly happen? That the cars would stay out on one uh, set of tires the whole time and have to pit at the last minute so they didn't get a penalty. Um, I I just think that that's where we're at at this point is that there's too much change and there's not enough consistency at the tracks to do that. You, you have changing tracks mixed with changing rules and it's just chaos week to week. Well, you know, know, I'm not going to let them off the hook because it's their job. Um, And Alex Albon did the same thing last year at Australia where he started on the hard tires, did the entire race so he could hold on to that last points playing position in 10th, pitted on the last lap, and there was personnel in the pit lane when that happened. They should have learned from that and known that with how good the hard tires are on their durability, which I think they are way too durable, you should not be able to run an entire race on one set of tires. That's not what you know, the intent is you need to have some clear degradation, but, uh, you know, it's, it's happened before. So you have to know that it's a possibility. And when you had Alpine start him, uh, Esteban on the hearts, and then Haas started Nico Hulkenberg on the hot, uh, on the hard tires, both expecting a fortuitous safety car, red flag where they could take advantage of it. We had one safety car, 
but it happened way too early for the hard tire runners to take advantage of. So then we had another 40 laps of them running where they knew two drivers had yet to make a pit stop. And, you know, you have uh, accurate timing going on. You have GPS sensors on the car to know exactly where they are at all times. You can easily track if they've pitted or not. So until you have everyone pit, there should be no reason for anyone to be in pit lane until every car has crossed the finish line under the checkered flag. Um, you know, I, I can't let them off the hook. They should know better. That's fair enough. And you mentioned the, the one pit stop uh, or the one yellow that we had and too early for it to make a difference. However, that one yellow did set up the rest of the race. It really did. Um, yeah, As let's let's yeah, yeah. We, let's talk about the uh, the winner. The, you know, it's it's ultimately his day, right? Uh, so Checo won. Congrats, the the king of the streets uh, shows it again. Clearly, a and, big fan of Need for Speed Underground, <laughs> and uh, the first driver to uh, to take two here in F one at Baku, um, and technically two and a half because he won the sprint too. So um, good for him, but he had a little bit of help on this yellow now steve i know you didn't necessarily agree with what some people might be thinking including uh, i think chiefly max but um <laughs> it was that uh, one of the red bulls benefited from this uh yellow and one did not and that was the ultimate difference in the race today yeah so it, it was in an interesting situation um max is leading checo's you know a, a second or two behind and they're coming up you know, uh, the, uh, you know, third sector of the track, you know, so towards the end of the lap. And then we see Nick DeVries pull off to the side and we think at the time it's just like a spin. Everyone's kind of seeing it a couple seconds after the yellow flag show up and everyone initially has the assumption that he's just going to back up and, and keep going. And then the safety car comes out. Ultimately they call Max into pit. They see an opportunity that, you know, we'll have Max come into pit. Safety car comes out. Checo has passed Max, but because of the timing of how he got past the pit lane exit and when Max was in, he's able to basically come around before the safety car picks him up. So by the time he comes around, he can pit and still maintain first place. So before the safety car comes out, it's... Max Checo Charles after the safety car pits it's Checo Charles Max so Max loses two positions so you know the the narrative essentially was Max got hosed Checo got benefited but there were still 40 laps of racing to do Max got past Charles essentially as soon as uh you know, he got the slipstream and then he was behind Checo within the first lap of the restart. He had 40 laps to catch him and he didn't. No, that's true. Uh, you know, and I, you know, they mentioned some about maybe there might have been some strategy at Red Bull had Max been pushing enough and they've been close and showed he was obviously faster that they might try to help out Max and swap him and prioritize him. Um, but. Checo drove his ass off today and made that not even worthwhile because he was the better driver, in my opinion, at that point. Yeah, he drove 40 laps with the two-time reigning world champion behind him. Um, 
you know, and and Christian Horner had said, you know, ultimately he's trying to throw shade at other people when he said it at this point in the weekend. But he's like, you know, sectors one and two are, you know, where the driver really shows the difference. And then sector three, it's just, you know, going fast in a straight line, as in, you know, kind of waving off Charles, uh, you know, two quote unquote pole positions. But then you look at the race performance today, and who's faster in sectors one and two? Checo, who was faster in, in sector three? Max, basically because he was sitting in uh, Checo's slipstream the whole race. So, you know, you tell me who had the better performance today. I, I think this is, you know, a, an outright win for Checo that has no asterisk. Yeah, I know. And for, for me, he you have all race. You supposedly have the best car on the track and supposedly, in many people's esteem, the best driver on the track. And if you couldn't muster a, uh, a first place out of that, that's on you. That's not on that's not on that, you know, unfortunate situation with the yellow at all. But, okay. uh, you know, repeat record, you know, it was what it is. It's it's one of them's Red Bulls uh, in first, uh, usually both of them on the podium. And uh, but we got we got somebody new this week, didn't we? Yep. Um Real quick, though, before we move on, now there's just six points between Max and Sergio. I don't think we would have anticipated that uh, four races in. Uh, Max doesn't have the breathing room that I think he he expected he was going to have. So I I think, um, you know, there'll continually be questions about who's going to get, quote unquote, preferred strategy. Uh, You know, is is there going to be an opportunity where you know, they're going to have to double stack and, and, you know, some feelings getting hurt. Um, you know, that'll be interesting to see it progress. Uh, but yes, Ferrari has finally decided to pick up some hardware as Charles finished third. Uh, he had, I mean, ultimately a strong weekend, if not disappointing, you know, he had two pole positions and in both races that he had pole in, ultimately did not win which unfortunately is becoming more of a trend than I'm, I'm assume i'm sure he would like yeah and it's just interesting to see but i mean like with charles um he even mentioned it a month as much in, a, in the post race as even he goes while people are saying it looks like ferrari has made some inroads he says it doesn't even it's hard to track because you know when teams are so far out ahead of you they're not going hammered down right they are you know they're they're monitoring their stuff too so he says we don't even know if we've made that much progress on them we might be better than we were we might pay progress on the field but we really can't even compare ourselves to red bull after this race so again at least ferrari in this weird middle space i'm glad that they seem to have a little better performance this week it's just it's always you know i as much as I hate to, oh, well, sorry. Here we go. I have to. We we're going to get this branded. This is Ryan's American Sports Analogy of the Week. Um, <laughs> Patent pending. Patent pending. He goes. They always say like you know when certain teams aren't in the action in professional sports in the United States, uh, it's it's a loss for the sport. You you want the Lakers to be competitive. You want the Celtics to be competitive. Even if you hate their guts, you can admit that you want the Lakers and Celtics. It's not as much fun when they're not in it. And that's the same thing here, I guess. To Notice we extent. didn't say Cowboys. Yeah, well, America's team is only because they're on TV during the cable age. But that's besides the point. But in this instance, Ferrari is kind of the same thing. With all of their history and with their performance over the years... 
it's a tad of a shame to watch Ferrari continually self-destruct the past few seasons with talented drivers and theoretically all the money in the world thrown at them um, and not be able to consistently compete. Uh, and even worse, on top of that, is the promise of co competition not meeting that, right? Um, so, um, again, here we are. They are race four, maybe showing a little bit of life. But, you know, they're already, sadly, this is, you know, at this point, there might not be a third driver who can really knock on the door of the Red Bulls four races into the season. So. Right. Well, I mean, I think the uh, the biggest thing for Ferrari, uh, both cars finished the race. Uh, huge plus for them. So I, far this well, season. I you know I I that sounds tongue in cheek and sarcastic, but I I think it's a like a very real sentiment for them at this point that mm -hmm. you, you know it wasn't ideal conditions. It was a very hot race. It was kind of muggy. It was a situation where you know you might have to tone down the cars a little bit as far as power performance to make sure that they, you know, uh, finished, which could leave them susceptible. But ultimately, Charles, for having a lonely race and finishing, you know, almost half a minute behind the first two cars, finishes third, has a couple of pole positions, pick up good points. Uh, Carlos kept Lewis Hamilton behind him for 25 laps and, and soaked up that pressure and didn't succumb and make a mistake. Um, I'm sure that Ferrari expects maybe a little bit better than fifth in both races uh, from Carlos. But I, th I think ultimately he finished ahead of two Mercedes. And, you know, I, I think all in all they should, you know, walk away from this weekend feeling better and feeling confident that, you know, we have a car that maybe we can lean on a little bit. Um, Maybe we'll have a little bit better track that, you know, even suits us. Like, Imola might be an ideal track for them. Yeah, and, you know, we'll see with Ferrari. Uh, other teams in the mix. Um, you know, the the other strong team this year, uh, consistency-wise, other than, say, Red Bull, is Aston Martin. And... We saw a different uh, Fernando Alonso this uh, this week, didn't we? Steve? Yeah, who, uh, I, I feel like he's he's taken like the the Jamie Char. Uh, excuse me. I feel like he's taken the Jamie Tart, uh, you know, storyline. You know, he's becoming the you know greatest teammate in the world now. Uh, he's like, hey, let let Lance know, you know, my brake balance tips. Let you know, kind of just being team player, Fernando. Uh, it's not what you expect from him, but at the same time, as soon as he sent that information, like <laughs> Lance had a mistake that ended up letting Lewis pass him. So who knows if it was a sabotage or not, but seemed to be sincere. Um, but I'm always impressed by how Fernando essentially in his mind manages the race of like four or five cars around him. Like he's he's <laughs> taking a look at Lewis's tire degradation. He's watching how he's racing. He's doing his own in race, uh, you know, adjustments, and then he's going to share those adjustments with Lance to help him out. And then he's talking about what when the appropriate you know pit window is probably going to be and how long uh you know uh if, if like 
George had pitted yet or not, or where he's going to come out in traffic. So his mental capacity in the race is just always astounding to me. Yeah, and, and the American analogy, at least in basketball, is court vision. He has court vision. And uh, he, he knows where everyone's going to be, and it's what makes him a great driver. And I think what he forgets is that Lance Stroll doesn't have court vision. So in this instance, he might have given him the keys to the kingdom, and Lance doesn't know what door to stick uh, the key in. So um, nothing against Lance. He's obviously a phenomenal driver, uh, you know, because he's one of 20 in the world who does this, uh, uh, you know, high-level racing. Uh, and he's done it fairly well for a number of seasons. But there's only so many people in the world who are Fernando Alonso. Uh, and I don't think there's that many on this circuit. And Lance is not one of them. Yeah, I mean, forget court vision. Sometimes Lance lacks vision vision. <laughs> <laughs> but it did allow... Uh, it did allow the other team we talk about this week, Mercedes, to sneak a position. Um, kind of a blah day. Uh, you know, you don't really move around. You, you move up and down one position on a track after 50 laps. It's like, what do you, you know, did you even race? But um, uh, Lewis just looks like he was out there, you know. Well, I mean, we, we talked about the, the safety car implications when it came to Max and Checo. But I think the person who really got hurt was Lewis. Uh, you know, he, he started the race fifth, and he had essentially maintained that position, had a good start, uh, was, you know, pressuring. And, apparently, like, all, all the uh, medium-tire runners were feeling deg, tire degradation early, so they pulled the trigger on an early stop, and he pitted essentially the lap before the safety car came out. So that gave, and Mercedes had, I I don't know what they were looking at as far as the traffic of the rest of the cars, but they released him at the tail end of, uh, you know, four car DRS train. Right. So it's like, you know, I, I know he was getting like a ton of pressure from Fernando Alonso behind and maybe a lap away from getting overtaken. And they figured like, let's just pit him now and maybe go for an undercut, but released him in the worst possible time, that even if there was green flag running, he was going to have to make four overtakes just to kind of get back into the right, um, you know, uh, into the right sequence of where he was supposed to be. But then the safety car comes out, and everybody he was battling with, you know, gets free stops. So he goes from, you know, fifth to tenth. And he had so a he, good re, he had a good restart though on, on the safety car restart and picked up two positions like right off the bat, um, but you know I, I don't think he would have necessarily finished any higher than fifth maybe fourth was on the books, right. um, but it was just a good recovery and you know no that was his day his day was to salvage a bad situation um, and yeah I think I, I think you're right. I think his best day was probably fourth unless he got a little lucky with Fernando, right? Uh, um, but in this instance, I think a lot of what happened on the yellow lap really started to impact people right around position eight. That seemed to really put a like a ceiling on the rest of the field. People trying to shuffle into the points were really blocked by those two cars for much of the race, 
uh, Ocon and Hulkenberg right around the tail end of those points. And nice little DRS train right through 8 through 12, I think it was, for a long part of the race. Yep. It didn't seem like anyone could make any headway, which is unfortunate for the probably the last team I want to talk about today before we discuss other things, McLaren. Um, McLaren had a nice little bit of qualifying, and it seems like their car is a little bit more in what we expected McLaren to be this year. Um yeah, they got they both cars. Like they were just trapped. They got both know? cars into Q3 for the first time. Um, so it was a strong showing in qualifying. Uh, you know, it just... They they were stuck behind two drivers on 45-lap-old hard tires. Right. And just kind of in a group with, you know, Yuki Tsunoda and uh, Alex Albon. And just... It, it Again, further proves my point that like the hard tires in, in concert with a little bit of increasing difficulty of dirty air with these cars. Like the whole concept around these cars were to not have dirty air, but they've made some changes in the ride height this year over last year. That's made that worse. So they just don't have quite enough to get past the guys on the older tires, but the t- older tires are holding on just enough to keep them in front. So uh, on a quote unquote better strategy, they still couldn't, make hay while the sun was shining. So it wasn't until that, uh, you know, Hulkenberg came in. Hulkenberg actually got overtaken before. His tires completely died. Uh, He was susceptible to, you know, Tsunoda and and Norris overtakes before he finally gave up and came in. Uh, But Esteban stayed out for so long and just kind of maintained that position that could Lando had closed the gap a little bit to maybe George and Lance. I don't know. It seems like a big ask, uh, but you know that having two roadblocks doesn't help, right? And I mean, you know, um, it created a unique situation towards the end of the race there, where the only car who could really take advantage of a cheapy pit stop to try to get the fastest lap in account was George at yep. the eight at the eight spot, um, and uh, the fact that he could pit and come back out and not move, lose any positions. Um, you know, kind of just showed you where that early yellow kind of really just started to separate the field over the course. Um, and by George, so, you, you are referring to your Royal Highness Princess George Russell, correct? Yes, uh, <laughs> as he was uh, so so dubbed and, uh, and or knighted or, or whatever, uh, deemed by uh, our reigning champion, Max Verstappen. Um, and so... Yeah, there's some bad blood between them. Uh, I think what's funny is that, you know, we started off this week with predictions a couple of days ago, Stephen. Uh, you dropped your Swifty references in there, and damn if we didn't get some bad blood, right? We did, and, you know, it just uh, kind of some real baby energy from Max. Yeah, it, You know, it's it's fine if he races people hard, but God forbid anyone races his hard. Like, like it, he's you know, laying claim to the track. Like, no, this is where I'm racing. You need to race somewhere else. Like you, you don't get excused from hard racing because you're leading the championship or that you're a reigning champion. Like people are going to be gunning for you. People are going to, you know, shoot open gaps. You have to be able to race. You know, you're not always going to be 15 seconds in front of the field. You know, you can't have a little, you know, pissy fit. Because you had a little bit of contact, all right. You you've run plenty of people off the road. You know, buck up a little bit. It's always with Max, though. It's always something. You know, I I love that uh, 
Buxton said what he said. It's just, you know he called him out, um, and and said that you know it's real rich coming from Max. Uh, him complaining about stuff like this, and I'm curious. You know, as I we talked about this earlier, uh, Steve uh, off off mic, but it it could keep going through the rest of the year, like the Lewis stuff. It simmers, right? Uh, but George is so prim and proper, uh, like the princess he is, um, that it would be up to him to escalate it. And I don't know, you know, you know how it is. Uh, you get challenged to a drag race, and you're like, I don't have to drag race this guy. What the hell is going on? But he's got a Ferrari, and you're in like a Honda, and you're sitting yeah. there. And you're like, ah, ah, you know, I could race him, but he's gonna beat me anyway. What's the point? Maybe I should just ignore him. Right? Except, except in this scenario, it is actually better to be in the Honda than the Ferrari. <laughs> Correct. Actually, uh, sadly, uh, uh, but so, you know, like Mac, Max has a long memory. You know, remember back to last year, kind of had, you know, a fight against the team orders in Brazil. And like, Max, why why aren't you, you got got to let Checo through. And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to. Like, I I have my reasons. Come to find out it was something that happened five months ago in Monaco that he remembered and held a grudge for. (laughs) You don't know when he's going to strike back. It might be when you least expect it. It might be today. It might be tomorrow. It might be five months from now. But... Uh, some point, I think George Russell getting uh, George Russell is going to get put in the wall, or break checked in a sprint. I mean, seems to be Max's. Uh, he he might get kneecapped by Yas. <laughs> <laughs> I it's just uh, I I don't know. It's just uh, it's funny to watch millionaire men race very expensive, uh, fast cars. And still act like children sometimes, especially in, in, when they're yeah. as esteemed as someone like Max's uh, with his championships and his wins and his, his his pedigree. But that aside, how do we do on our predictions this week? Given how bit of a stinker this race might have been compared to what we thought it was and what it has been in the past. Well, because this race was such a stinker, I guess I'll go first because. <laughs> well, I. I... You know, I'm not going to be too hard on myself because my my first prediction was a non-Red Bull sprint race winner. And, of course, you know, Checo won the sprint race. But, you know, Charles had pole. He had as good a chance as anybody to win the sprint race. He ended up finishing second in it. Um, So that is no points for me. But, you know, wasn't... And and fair, right? We usually know if Ferrari's going to blow up, it's going to be later in the race anyway. Yeah. Uh, my second prediction was a new podium finisher this year, and that did come to be. That was Charles Leclerc picking up his first podium of the year, so that's, ding, one point to me. Nice. Uh, my third and final prediction, also painstakingly close, uh, was that a rookie would score points at some point in this weekend. And it one rookie in particular did everything they could to not score points in Nick DeVries. <laughs> uh one of the worst weekends I've seen any rookie have. Um, not to be outdone, Logan Sargent decided to you know crash in sprint race uh, qualifying. So you know so bad that he couldn't even compete in the sprint anyway, which he was never really going to be in contention for points. Um, and then ultimately didn't score any in the race. 
And then Oscar Piastri finished one position outside the points in 11th. And if you didn't have the dual Alpine Haas blockade of the hard tire runners, maybe there would have been a chance. But, you know, my, my predictions, at least in there, the rookie scoring points, were kind of based on getting a little bit of jeopardy and chaos in this race, which we normally get, right. and, and we didn't get it. Yeah, there was a lot of things missing from this race that would have, you know, obviously made it easier for us to hit our marks. Uh, that's definitely how I didn't score a point this week. Uh, I said there was going to be a red flag in this race, seeming that that would be reasonable given what we saw man if you made um, this prediction on thursday night you would have been golden right and I, I told you i was willing to dig my heels in and say i didn't even want it in the sprint i was going to take it in the race and boy was i wrong so uh you know but again we were all a little surprised everyone was surprised i, I would probably say the drivers the teams the guys calling the race they were all surprised what a stinker baku was and what we were expecting but um my other predictions uh, mean you kind of have a similar prediction. I was specific on uh, who was going to be on, but I said Ferrari would podium. And I Charles said specifically. Charles. Yep. Charles specifically. And I said that a McLaren would point. And thank you, Lando, for sneaking in <laughs> past that uh, lovely DRS train and blockade of Ocon and Hulkenberg. So I believe that gives me two this week. Um, and. Uh, I will gladly take it I, for a stinker of a race. Two out of three ain't bad. And that, that leaves us neck and neck after four races, uh, but three with predictions, uh, four and a half points apiece going into our home race of Miami. Yeah. So let's talk about Miami real quick. Uh, another street circuit. So setting up more favorably possibly for Checo. Uh, but, um, oh man, you know, a race that was a bit disappointing to us last year, Stephen. I mean, I, I don't think much is going to change this year. Yeah, I don't, you know, I think there's parts of the layout of the track that we don't find, you know, necessarily great. There's that kind of, you know, left, right, left, right, slow section underneath the turnpike exit ramp that you know <laughs> we've driven on that doesn't, you know, really make sense. Uh, as it leads to long straight, so any momentum the car behind might have built up is is negated pretty quickly. Um, you know the surface was pretty trash. Hopefully they cleared that up. Um, you know, uh, Checo ended up finishing fourth last year. Max ultimately win. You know, in a uh, Ferrari sandwich in between the two Red Bulls. Uh, definitely going to be a power circuit. A lot of time. You know. Uh, on the gas, a lot of engine power needed for you know the long straightaways. Uh, Sergio's got to be kind of your odds-on favorite. You know he's kind of in form right now. This would be another track that suits him. So we'll see how it turns out. Hopefully we get some a uh, little bit of jeopardy from the weather. The weather's been terrible down there. Yes, It'd be nice to see a, uh, an afternoon downpour at some time to you know really test the drivers yeah i'm just really curious what the weather will do if you know if it's going to be muggy if that'll impact things a little bit differently if it rains it obviously will um and so that that's one of those things as we look at it see maybe the chaos will show up in other ways in miami otherwise it's going to be a pretty straightforward race 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, we will definitely get into a uh, more in-depth preview of the Miami Grand Prix uh, later on this week. That's for sure. So that's a good point for us to end this week's podcast. Uh, You've been listening to the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 podcast. Again, I'm Ryan Vasquez. And I'm Stephen McNally. And we will see you next time across the line.